Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to the Speaking from Our Hearts podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by a lady that lives in Switzerland, a lady by the name of Kelly Brandley. Kelly is a dating and relationship coach and also an executive matchmaker. Kelly, an immensely warm welcome to you. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. So, okay, dating and relationship coach and an executive matchmaker. Start the ball rolling, Kelly, if you will, by give us an insight what um, you know what that entails. Yeah, sure, Pat. So basically what I do is I help men and women um, to find love again after divorce. That's where I specialize. Um, I have my own divorce story. And uh, I've realized uh, over the years that there's so many men and women who come out of a marriage, go through divorce, and then somehow get stuck in their life. They would love to find a new partner and start a great relationship again. But for various reasons, they don't know how to start dating again, or they're still holding on to some of the past from their marriage, or they don't know where to meet people. So after spending nearly a decade as a headhunter and focused on matching people with great jobs, I decided to change my focus and help match people with the the love of their life. Mm. So... Um, thank you for sharing that little uh, insight into yourself, Kelly. I mean, is there anything that sort of, you know, by by way of getting to know you a bit better, is there anything else you'd like to share so, you know, our listeners can sort of start to relate to, to you a bit more? Anything at all? Uh, yeah, well, I did, as I mentioned, I was um, married for 10 years. I went through a separation seven years ago and uh, have been out on the dating scene myself. I've experienced a lot of the frustrations that my clients go through in terms of, uh, you know, where to meet people, dating the wrong people, all the ups and downs of online dating. And one thing that I really struggled with was the sort of trial and error of it all. There didn't seem to be much of a, a process that I could use to sort of get the results I was hoping in terms of meeting the right type of person, starting a healthy relationship again. And so that got me really interested in learning all I could about the science of dating and relationships. So my focus of my training has been really on the science behind dating and relationships and what works and what helps people stay together for the long term. Mm. So if I'm hearing correctly, Kelly, um, was it a case of you through your own personal experiences, um, sort of foraying into, into the dating scene and then finding out, wow, this, this is a potential minefield here with all the, you know, the ifs, buts, whys, wheres, fors. And, and, you know, from your own personal kind of voids, did that then turn into something that became more professional in terms of your business? Is that how it evolved? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't set out uh, to become a dating coach when I started dating myself. But over the course of about two years, I went on 92 first dates. And 
I was fascinated by the process and listening to all the men that I met and all of the struggles that they had. And I started to realize that I could really help people by using my own experience combined with all the knowledge that I had from the HR field, which is really about understanding people and what makes them tick and what helps people build relationships. And so it came out of uh, my own personal need, but then it developed into a real passion of mine. Mm, interesting. So do you care to share with us some of the, obviously not sort of the real deep personal ones, but some of the kind of insights that the variety that you had on those uh, on those 92 uh, experiences, just to give us a flavor, Kelly, of, you know, what, what the dating seems like, if you like. Well, one of the biggest learnings that I had is that dating after divorce is so different than dating before marriage. So when you're dating in your 20s, it's quite common that people are all single. And when someone says I'm single, I'm not in a relationship and nobody else is of the impression that they're in a relationship with me. But when you date after divorce, there are so many different shades of what single looks like. So you could date people who are married and say they're single um, and their spouse at home doesn't know that they're dating. Mm. You date people who are in early stages of separation and are completely caught up in the drama of what's going on in their marriage. They may still be living at home or they may have been living on the sofa of a friend's place. Uh, you get people who are separated for many, many years, but somehow can't seem to let go of their marriage and finalize the divorce. Mm. And then you've got people who are, have been divorced for a decade and have somehow not found the right person or just haven't known where to start and so have spent the last 10 years as a single. Mm. And every one of those different people you meet comes with a different story, um, different beliefs and backgrounds. And it's always an interesting interaction to see how, how that plays out with your own divorce story. Okay, that's interesting. So am I being too scientific, Kelly, to suggest that people, um, <laughs> I'm kind of answering my own questions, I'm asking <laughs> it here, people fit into one of four broad categories or, yeah, is, is, is it that simple? Is it not that simple? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, in terms of the four broad, the, the married and looking for something else, the early separated, the separating and divorcing and the divorced are probably four main buckets. But within each of those buckets, you're going to get still a wide variety of people. Um, mm. And it's when I look at divorce, I mean, people tend to think divorce is black and white, but there's actually three levels you get divorced on. So yeah, there's the legal aspect of it. Are you divorced on paper? There's the physical aspect. Have you actually moved out of um, the shared home you had with your spouse. Mm. And then there's the emotional aspect. And that's the part that often takes a lot longer and sometimes many, many years to really cut those ties with the next spouse. Right. Okay. So just going back to that first, if we can even call it a category, Kelly, of, you know, married uh, married men, um, is, is that from your experience then, is that uh, married men, and please forgive the, the colloquialism, looking for a bit on the side, um, or is that, okay, I'm not actually happy in my marriage, so yes, I am married, and I might not tell you about that yet, but I'm actually looking for something else. Or is it a mixture of the two? I mean, how does that play out? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a mixture. You'll get um, 
you'll you'll meet men and it's not just men i'm gonna say there's also women that do that so i don't want to just um put it all on the men there but you'll get um people that are what they say happily married but are looking for a bit of excitement so they're looking for the sexual adventure of it yeah you will find people who are in an unhappy marriage but for whatever reason financial because the children don't want to leave and so they're looking for an emotional partner or a sexual partner outside the marriage and um they don't necessarily tell your spouse their spouse that they're doing that Mm. and then there's even another group that are um, living in an open marriage where they've spoken to their spouse said, you know, this isn't fully um, working for me. I'm not fulfilled and I'd like to have other partners. And they've agreed on that. Although mm. I must say I've met quite a few men who claim they're in open marriages, but I'm almost certain if I asked their wife, um, the wife wouldn't be in such agreement to that. So, mm. Yeah. I mean, you raised an interesting point there. Um, Kelly, in terms of you know, you represent both both genders, not just just women um, on the dating scene. So, and I think that's you know that that that's a very valid point in in the context of this conversation. So, you know, is okay. So, on that basis, then, is there a is there kind of um, any similarities between the way women approach the dating scene and the way guys approach? Is it is it polarized? I mean, what does that look like? Um, yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. I think it it depends so much on the person and the state of life that they're in. Um, I could probably go into some of the stereotypical generalizations, which I, I definitely do see. Um, clients that come to me, generally speaking, women start out saying they're looking for a life partner, somebody who wants commitment, they may or may not be interested in starting a second family. Whereas men tend to come to me, they're not usually talking about another long-term commitment. They're looking for somebody that they can emotionally connect with. Mm. Um, But they tend to start out being much more short-term focused as a rule. I mean, definitely there are some men who are very clear they want to get married again and, Mm. and that's where they start. But I think that's kind of one generalization that I see differs between the two genders um but on a similar level they all are looking for something that's ultimately fulfilling so a deep connection somebody that they can really share their life with um and experience you know what life has to bring most of my clients are between 35 and 55 so you know they've um may have young children or more grown-up children but they're looking for um experiences at this point of life you know whether that can be traveling or starting a project together um, taking up a a hobby together and learning something new Um, most people come with sort of a clear vision of one aspect of the relationship that they're really looking for Mm. one of the things that um i've come to understand and i whether i believe it um um, in its entirety, Kelly, is another thing. But one, of, you know, when we're led to believe that there are two inherent fears that every every person has on this planet, one is I'll never be good enough, and two is I'll never be loved. In the terms, or in the case of the latter, does that play out in how? How does that play out, Kelly, in terms of your experiences and your research? 
about this whole kind of, I suppose, emotional insecurity, if that's not coming across as too judgmental. Yeah, well, I actually have done a lot of work on attachment theory. That's one of the areas that's fascinated me. And attachment theory basically came from the belief that as children, we learn how to form relationships um, with our primary caregivers, whether that be our parents or grandparents or a nanny. We learn whether or not love is safe and love can be relied on. Mm. And as a result of that, those initial experiences as a child will influence our adult relationships. And they feel very confident that they will be loved and that when they give love, they'll get love back in return and people are generally safe and not out to hurt them. And then there's different, um, three different forms of insecure attachment, which comes to what you're saying. People um, have grown up in homes where they couldn't rely on their caregivers to be consistent in providing love. And so they created stories that I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy of love, I don't do enough, I'm not good enough. Um, love is scary, or I'm going to be hurt, I'm going to be abandoned. And all these kind of stories as children then become our core beliefs as we grow up into adults. And like you said, um, can really influence how we show up in relationships. If you think I'm not worthy of love, then it doesn't matter how much another partner tries to show you their love, you're not in a position to receive it from them. Mm. Where does self-love play into all this, Kelly? Now, self-love, I think, is, is a really, really important aspect. And a lot of people will talk about having your cup full, um, full of love. And I always tell my clients that I think you need to have two cups. And one cup is the cup of self-love. And that cup needs to be filled first before you can even think about filling the second cup, which is, the love that you're going to get from your intimate relationship. And self-love is also um, sometimes referred to as self-partnering, which is really about showing up for yourself and giving yourself the love and the care and the attention that you really need, that you're often looking for from another person. But if you aren't able to give that to yourself and you abandon yourself in aspects of life, it's very likely that you're going to see those aspects mirrored back to you in an intimate relationship. So mm. self-love to me is, is the basis of really forming a healthy bond and attachment with another person. So would it be fair to say then, Kelly, that say a prospective client coming to, to you, to yourself, for your services, would it be fair to say that he or she would benefit more um, if they'd done, and I use the term very loosely, a lot of inner work first. A number of the clients that come to me have gone through some kind of psychotherapy after their divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to be the type of people who look for support, whether it be therapy or coaching. Um, but that doesn't mean that they've done a lot of inner work. And sometimes they come with simple questions of, I know that I need to do something, but I don't know where to start. And so one of the main focuses of the coaching that I do with clients is really helping them find that self-love and clarifying their own inner needs and desires before we even start about um, talking about dating and finding matches for them. So that is for me one of the critical aspects of, of starting the process. 
Yeah. Okay. So there's that kind of uh, foundation, that preparation of, um, you know, that emotional work, if you will, to, yeah. Okay. I understand that. Mm -hmm. And one of the core, um, I guess, topics that I cover with clients is really about going through core belief reprogramming, which is really digging deep into understanding, okay, I have this belief that I'm not good enough. Um, where did this belief come from? And then we go through a very structured process of how we overcome that belief to change it. And it's amazing when I see clients, first of all, having the eye-opening experience to say, I never realized that was going on subconsciously. And then once we go through the reprogramming of that belief, how differently they start to show up in um, dating, in relationships, and in their life in general, be that at work or with family. It really is a massive shift that I see when they start to do that kind of work on their core beliefs. I love it, Kelly, when I hear that word belief. There's two words that for me resonate or shine like massive beacons. One of them is beliefs. The other one is needs. And mm -hmm. just focusing on the beliefs. Uh, and I seem to be saying this increasingly more and more, Kelly, with guests um, on this podcast um, around Going back to the very first podcast of Mastering Life is as simple as ABC. And the starting point, the A is for awareness. The B is for beliefs. And the C is for creativity. To, to think at things from a different angle, from a different perspective. Because isn't it true that if we think about things the way that we've always thought about them, we'll get the same end result time. You know, I use the metaphor mm -hmm. of a dog chasing its tail round and round and round and round. And we need to break that cycle. So creativity um, breaks that cycle. So you know, I want to I want to kind of dig on down on the beliefs, um, if I may, Kelly, because I just love this subject around beliefs. So from this whole kind of okay, let's pull that question for a moment. Um, I've just had something else come into my mind. So you know, when you're at the top of this conversation, Kelly, you use the word sort of, you know, about the scientific approach and, you know, based on your research, if I could play devil's advocate and say, you know, uh, I understand that because my, the way I'm wired is very much kind of systematic, mechanical. Um, so I, I absolutely get the science side of things. I really do. I also understand intuitively that things come along in life at times, Kelly, and throw all logic out the window, all science out the window, where intuition takes over, emotions take over. And in this context, Cupid strikes the bow and bang, there you go. And it's like, well, okay, this doesn't really make sense, but why am I feeling this way? Does, you know, do, do you ever sort of experience any of those uh, situations with clients? Yeah, definitely. So, one of the frameworks that I like to use is that um, the way we react in life is actually a cycle. So our core beliefs inform the thoughts that we have. The thoughts that we have, then we create stories around those thoughts. Based on those thoughts, we then have an emotional response. The emotional response releases a neurochemical um, interaction within our body, which we then experience as... Um, fight, fight, or freeze. Mm. And then we have a coping behavior that we then use to manage those experiences we're feeling in our body. So exactly what you say, um, 
you can have all the knowledge in the world about a core belief and understand why you have it and know you want to change it. But in a situation where something triggers you, um, your neurochemical response will override any kind of logic. And in that case, we actually do a lot of work then on understanding what are my coping mechanisms in these situations? And then how can I create alternatives so I can react differently um, in that specific situation? So if I was to take an example, um, quite a number of my clients come to me and they're, they're quite anxious in relationships. So they're very fearful that their partner um, will leave them and they always need validation and a lot of contact with them. Um, and that stems from the core belief that I'm not lovable, for example. Yeah. And so when we go through this whole cycle, it means if I believe I'm not lovable, when the person I'm dating doesn't return a phone call, I immediately have this thought, they don't love me, they're leaving me, um, which is the story I then repeatedly tell myself. The more and more I tell myself, the emotional response gets stronger and stronger. I can start to feel panic and anxiety um, and out of that, I then become very clingy and needy and I'll start calling them repeatedly, texting them. You know, I might even drive by their work and say, you know, why aren't you responding to me? And so we'll work at different aspects along that um, continuum. And one of the things is then, okay, when I have this feeling I need to call them or text them repeatedly, what can I do instead? And then we'll come up with behaviors. It could be um, I need to meditate for five minutes before I do anything, I need to call a friend um, and we'll come up with different coping strategies to help them break that cycle. Mm. Well, when you was talking there, Kelly, what was going through my mind was about these rules that we give ourselves. Um, and, I, and yet again, I'm going to play, if I may, a little bit of devil's advocate here and do something I shouldn't do, which is stereotype. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to create this kind of, this polarized image or scenario of, you know, the way that uh, the more masculine energy um, just gets things done, just wants to fix things. And the more feminine energy um, wants to embroil in that, you know, with the big why. And, you know, let's talk about this and let's explore it. And this whole kind of rule thing around, you know, imagine, you know, the guy comes home from work or the girl comes home from work at the end of the day. And it's like, this whole thing around, um, well, you haven't, you know, you haven't told me you love me, but you know I love you. Yeah, but you haven't told me. My rule, my rule, is not about telling; it's about proving. Because it's like it's it's the action side of things. You know, the words, and as I say, I'm playing a massive, massive stereotype here. But the words from the feminine are not necessarily relatable to the the actions of the of the masculine does that all make sense kelly have you come across that oh definitely you've touched on uh, another great passion of mine and i don't know if you're familiar with the book the five love languages no i'm not um, it's no. it's a book that basically says um each person or there's five different ways to show and receive love and each person has a primary love language which is how they like to be loved and exactly the scenario you're saying um, one person's love language may be words of affirmation that they need to hear those words. I love you. Um, you're doing a great job. You're beautiful. You're handsome, whatever that may be. Mm. Another person's love language may be physical touch. Mm. And you could sit and tell them all day how much you love them. But unless you have a hand on their lap or you're giving them a hug or you're just, you know, brushing 
um, their shoulders, you walk by, they can't really feel that love. And so the five love languages really teaches us um, it's important to understand our own love language and how we receive love, mm. but also to learn the love language of our partner so we can be giving love in a language that they can receive. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So from, do you think it's possible, I mean, do you do, you do this kind of work? Uh, so kind of two questions rolled in one, really, Kelly, around, say, you know, you, you've kind of painted the picture of people that's in a relationship, married or not, uh, but close, you know. Um, and, and when they part, I mean, do you do that kind of, that separation work with clients to say, okay, guys, I know that uh, from what you've told me that, you know, this has run its course, but there's still a love there. I mean, how do, how do you kind of, how do you work around that where there is still that kind of emotional attachment, but somehow um, it's not strong enough? You come- I, I have done um, quite a bit of couples work and exactly as you're saying, couples would come to me really near the end of a relationship. Um, most times they've been through some kind of couples therapy or psychotherapy trying to save their marriage. Mm. Um, and there has been situations where I've been able to help them rekindle love and stay together. And there's also times where I have helped them, um, dissolve their marriage in a a very amicable way. Um, there's a a book by, um, Catherine Woodward called conscious uncoupling, which I absolutely love. And it basically breaks this sort of belief that many people have that, the end of a marriage needs to be an all-out war of the roses. It doesn't need to be that way. You can consciously make decisions to separate as a couple, still respecting the love and experiences that you've had together and treating each other in a very respectful way, especially when children are involved. You need to maintain a relationship over the long term for the children And being conscious about how you do that can create a completely different atmosphere for the separation and a different foundation for a relationship after the marriage is dissolved. And that's so key, isn't it, Kelly, to the, you know, uh, what I call after the Lord Mayor's party. And I don't know where that come from. Um, Because anyway, another time, another place. maybe. (laughs) But, um, you know, when this separation, this kind of, I wouldn't even say emotional separation because... I mean, from my own point of view, um, Kelly, I'll share this. Um, There's been four amazing, absolutely amazing ladies in my life. Now, currently I'm with Lynn, um, my partner, and she's one of the four. But the other three, I still speak to Lynn about those uh, other ladies in the most powerful, respectful, emotional terms because they were part of my journey you know, for whatever reason, um, and I suppose this is where I've got to sort of take the massive responsibility and say I blew it on all three occasions because of my, mm. you know, my erratic behaviour at the time, which was drink-filled, violence-filled, not towards the women, but I was getting outside. And, and this goes back to my conditioning as a child with being brought up with neglect and abuse and violence at the hands of my mm-hmm. stepfather. Um so this influenced my way of being, which ultimately cost me the relationships because I was waging war on society, particularly if I saw a guy, what I judged to be abusing a woman or a child. So that was my pattern. But I suppose the point, getting back on track, Kelly, to you know, to reinforce the point of, you know, how, how does it play out then? Um, is it kind of acceptable 
normal for you know a guy or a girl to be in a, in a new relationship and talk about their exes affectionately, fondly, respectfully, um, because I know from experience that that can create insecurity with the other with the other side of the coin, so to speak. What, what any experience of all that, Kelly? Yeah, um, a couple of things come to mind there. First, um, just sort of listening to your story, it brought up in my mind. Um, your other um, key area, which is needs. And I've done a lot of work. Um, I know you share as well the, the work of Tony Robbins and his model on six human needs. I find absolutely fascinating. Mm. And when, when I did this with couples, um, understanding the needs and why people behave in a certain way, at the end of the day, we're all making decisions and b- making um, choices and behaviors in our life to fill our basic human needs. And um, things like alcoholism, um, violence, are often coming from um, learned behaviors as children of how we couldn't deal with our emotions. And so in order to try and meet our needs, we're using um, ways of coping that may not be healthy for us or for others around us. And when you work with couples and help them understand the underlying needs of why someone's behaving in a certain way, it totally changes their perspective and their judgment on those behaviors. Mm. And through that, that can completely shift um, the anger and resentment that's been built up between two people. It can be the key that can save a marriage, but also to help with this sort of conscious uncoupling of doing it in a respectful way. Now, when you come on the other side of the divorce, like you said, people who um, talk either extremely positively or negatively about an ex-spouse, it's usually an indicator and in many cases it's a red flag that the person hasn't gone through the full emotional separation and disconnection from that person. So I have some clients who are, they talk so positive about um, their ex-spouse and they're still pining for that relationship and they, they feel like they lost the love of their life. And in that aspect, they're not really fully open and emotionally available to a new partner or they can still be harboring so much anger and resentment towards their spouse that they haven't understood their role that they played in, in the breakdown of the relationship. They haven't accepted that and done some healing work there. And again, that's always um, a difficult foundation to start a new relationship because they're still emotionally tied to their last relationship. So letting go of um, what I call emotional baggage, whether positive or negative, is an important first step in in helping let go of the past so that you're ready um, and fully open to start a new relationship with a new partner. But surely there's degrees of differences on that. I mean, just listening to you speak there, Kelly, it's like, okay, so what attachment have I got to, um, you know, the three other ladies other than speaking massively respectfully, gratefully um, of my my long-term relationships with them. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, people come into our lives in, in whatever dynamic, whether they're an intimate partner or or a close friend or, or whatever the, you know, the, the situation is. But as you were speaking there, Kelly, it's like, okay, Paul, so where are you on that then? <laughs> and, and I've got to say that, um, I suppose I'm challenging you here, Kelly, that... Um, from a personal point of view, whilst I speak immensely respectfully and lovingly and, as I said, gratefully of those relationships, 
there's certainly no you know um, yearning or unfinished business or anything like that. I mean, I still see my ex-wife. You know, sometimes when I go back to the UK, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay there with uh, with uh, in, in the spare room, my ace and dad, with her and my daughter, and you know, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's this. Yeah, I don't, so I just wonder if there's varying degrees of that, Kelly. Definitely, I could actually help out a little bit with that. Um, on my website, I have a very short quiz that people can take, um, which is actually to assess the level of emotional baggage that you have from past relationships. And it's just a series of questions you can go through. And mm. it gives you an indication about how much you're still emotionally tied to a past relationship. If it's a healthy level of respect and, and memory for that relationship, or there's still some ties that you need to break. Mm. And uh, so if anybody's interested, um, that's available on my website. And that is an absolutely perfect introduction <laughs> to this next question. Please share your contact details before I ask you one final knockout question. Sure. Yeah, you can um, visit my website. It's kellybrandley.com and it's spelled K-E-L-L-Y and it's Brandley. It's the word brand with L-I at the end. Kellybrandley.com. Um, you can also um, contact me on uh, Facebook or Instagram at Kelly Brandley Coaching. Mm. Superb. Thank you for that, Kelly. So my final question to you is this. If you was to give one piece of advice, and I'm sure, well, you've shared quite a lot on just on this brief conversation between us, uh, Kelly, but if there was one piece of advice more than any or one guiding light or insight that you'd like to share with the world or even a legacy you know, I suppose it's that kind of elevator pitch. We've just met Kelly. We're about to get in a lift. Uh, the lift's going to the top floor. 30 seconds. Oh, hello, Kelly. You sound like an interesting lady. Right. You've got, tell me, tell me, what's that, what's that legacy piece of advice? What would that be? Well, my mission in life is to bring more love to the world. And I really want people, men and women to know that love can be epic after divorce. Um, this could be not just the end of one chapter of your life, but it could really be the beginning of something wonderful. And I really hope that people take the time to do the work and to invest in their self-love, understanding themselves, and to start amazing relationships with great partners. Superb. Thank you, Kelly. Kelly, thank you very Thanks, much Paul. for being part of this, uh, what I call the dance. It's interesting. I haven't used that word dance, and I normally do. That's my kind of... That's my wording for this emotional, um, you know, game of tennis that we play, the conversation, because we do talk about emotional things. I mean, not none more so than this around love and dating, etc. So sincere gratitude for you, uh, for you being here and, and sharing on that. Kelly, thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And so we're, there we are, listeners, and it seems very, very, very appropriate, more than ever, to close the way I normally do. But as I say, in this context, even more so by offering this thought. No matter what you do in life, always walk your path with heart. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.